Today, I'm going to be talking shit about Brian De Palma, Al Pacino version of Scarface. All right, that's enough of that. We got my movie monks in the background. They're doing their... They're doing their thing. Welcome, everybody. This is Movie Mass. And I got a sermon for you today. Fire and brimstone. Real fire and brimstone shit, unfortunately, for those of you listening. Because I think some of you might be kind of fond about the movie that I am going to say bad things about. Uh, I really have nothing good to say. Well, I have one good thing to say, but I'm going to save it for a moment from now. Uh, One good thing to say about Scarface. Brian De Palma directed Al Pacino, Scarface, released in 1983. I'm not going to bother you guys with too much trivia. I'm going to assume that almost everybody listening, everybody listening probably has seen Scarface. Why would you listen to a podcast episode where I talk shit about Scarface if you haven't already seen the film Scarface? So I'm going to assume everyone's seen it. I'm also going to assume most of you guys kind of like the movie. I'm going to come right out and say it. It's kind of a piece of shit. I don't say that lightly, okay? And I'm not being flippant, and I'm I'm certainly not trying to insult anybody who loves this movie, because God knows, people have looked me dead in my eye and told me that movies that I love are pieces of shit. I mean, that kind of makes those people retarded, but I, I have talked to uh, people who are apparently uh, neurodivergent and uh, mentally decelerated that they have told me Uh, bad things about inarguably, objectively incredible films such as Big Trouble in Little China. So, you know, I understand if you don't want to hear it about Scarface, I would just say, please listen to me with uh, an open mind and feel free to reach out to me if if there's any uh, points that you would like to make about Scarface that I've overlooked or if you would like to uh, rebut any of my claims about the film. That said, it's a piece of shit. Come at me. Jason.almy at teamalmy.com or at me on Twitter, Jason Almy, A-L-M-E. I'll put the link in the show notes. So if you want to DM me, if you want to call me out publicly, that's fine too. I'm okay with people disagreeing with my opinion. This is an opinion. And if you disagree, I'd love to talk about it. I'd love to hear what you love about Scarface, but I'm, I'm going to say Scarface is a piece of shit. And I didn't think it was a piece of shit when I first saw it. I think, um, I was probably, like a late teenager, you know, sometime around 17, 18, when I saw Scarface for the first time. So it's not a film that I grew up watching. And for good reason. I mean, what kind of fucking parents would mine have been if they let me watch Scarface as an eight-year-old or a 10-year-old? So there's no way I was growing up on Scarface, even if it came on a cable channel. And I don't remember it ever coming on like TNT or, or NBC as a youth. I don't remember that ever coming on as a youth, but I'm pretty sure my parents would have sent my ass right the fuck to bed uh, when Scarface came on. As soon as Al Pacino comes on, his Italian ass starts doing some fucking Cuban thing. And don't even get me started on that, right? I mean, obviously, times were different 40 years ago in 1983 when they released the film. It was okay for an Italian-American to portray 
uh, straight up Cuban, not even Cuban American, Cuban immigrant, and like do the voice and everything. I think in this day and age, you got to find a Cuban to do the the role of a Cuban, right? You can't farm that out to an Italian American because then everything, the mannerisms, the voice, everything becomes a caricature, right? And it can be kind of insulting. And and I understand that. And I, I'm, it's not something that I necessarily disagree with either. I mean, I don't think it's that bad that that Al Pacino does this Cubano voice the whole time, right? I think it's actually kind of endearing. And I'm I'm going to get to that in another minute or two when I talk about what I actually do like, the one thing that I do like about Scarface. But I will say that I, I initially enjoyed Scarface, I guess, for what it was, which was uh, an action movie. It's got some cocaine in it. Who doesn't like that? Young Michelle Pfeiffer, uh, that's another selling point for red-blooded American males. You know, you put in a 22-year-old Michelle Pfeiffer, Forget about it. I mean, Michelle Pfeiffer in 1983, get the fuck out of here, okay? I don't want to hear it. I, if you're gay, fine, okay? If you're only attracted to men, okay? Uh, even then, you still got to admit, maybe you don't want to have sex with her because you're attracted to men and Michelle Pfeiffer is a woman, but you can't tell me that she's not objectively beautiful in Scarface, although they do a great job with the hair, the makeup, the trappings of that lifestyle that they put her in. And they do a good job of like, she's really not that appealing despite being like a 23 year old Michelle Pfeiffer. I don't know. How old was Michelle Pfeiffer when they, when they put this movie out? So she was born in 58. So she would have been 25. We're talking mid twenties. I wasn't too far off when I said 23. So we're talking about a mid twenties, Michelle Pfeiffer, quite young and look very fine. So I'm not going to argue with the casting, and I'm not even upset. I mean, if I was Cuban, maybe I would be more upset about Al Pacino doing the voice and mannerisms and shit, but I'm not even upset about that. Really, honestly, as a uh, cracker of Norwegian and German descent, I don't really got a dog in that fight, so to speak, right? I'm not Italian, nor am I Cuban. Ah, what can I do? but stand on the sidelines and just eat popcorn and watch the others fight over the thing. So that's not a big deal. But I will say that I revisited Scarface at a very pivotal time in my life. I had a cyst in my throat that became very, very large. It grew into a mass that was really quite threatening Turns out it was benign, right? But there was no way for them to tell that until they had biopsied it, sent it to the lab, and and gotten pathology data on on the the tumor essentially that was growing in my neck. But uh, more immediately, this tumor was was pushing on everything else in my neck, uh, notably my windpipe, which uh, was not a huge deal when I was awake. Although it did make exercising a little hard because as I needed to uh, breathe a little bit more heavily during exercise, it was a little harder to get that air into the lungs because it restricted my airway to some degree. But the real problem was I had the worst sleep apnea as a result of this mass in my throat that every time I would lay down to sleep and relax, this thing would just close my esophagus right up and I would wake up. I did not sleep. Once that thing got really bad, 
I didn't sleep for weeks. I mean, I'd sleep a few minutes at a time and then wake up all night, every night. It got to the point where I was, and I'm, I'm not exaggerating, I was hallucinating in my waking life. I was actually seeing things that were not there. I thought I saw a giant bouncy castle, like the kind that kids play in. Those things are like 15 feet tall. I thought I saw that by the clubhouse of, of my neighborhood at the time. And it wasn't there. Like I, I, I was like, wow, they got a bouncy castle set up. I blinked and the fucking thing disappeared. So look, I was tripping balls and uh, that plus driving uh, as, as tired as I was, it was so difficult to stay awake. I had an hour commute at least into work back then. I would have to get out of my car at least twice and like walk around the car a few times, go get an energy drink. I was pounding caffeine. Really, it was not a good point, but I, I had to get I had to get some surgery. Luckily, I had insurance. Everything was covered. I went and had some surgery. I had a very good ENT who was quite skilled. He's an Asian man. I'll let you draw your own conclusions about the correlation between his Asian ethnicity and his phenomenal skill at surgery. You can draw your own conclusions, but this guy did some work on me, cut me open. They got the whole thing out of there and it hasn't been a problem ever since. I sleep like a baby now and my wife reports that I sleep quite soundly unless I'm on my back. Then I snore a little bit, but otherwise I'm a very silent sleeper these days. No sleep apnea to report, thankfully, but it was pretty bad for a while. And when I woke up from the surgery, they'd cut my whole neck open. They'd cut my whole neck open to get this thing out. So this was not like a minor thing. I have a like a four-inch scar across my neck now. I tell people I joined a Latino gang, which is appropriate for discussion on Scarface, you know, because I'm from Atlanta and everything. I say, I don't don't ever join a Latino gang. This is what you get, right? Big ass scar across my neck. But I was fucked up. And that is not an exaggeration. I was fucked up from this surgery. I woke up intubated and strapped down so I wouldn't remove the tube. And if you haven't been intubated before, I do not recommend it at all. I, rec- I recommend it less than I recommend Scarface. I actually would watch Scarface many, many times before I would recommend being intubated. But this is the relationship. So I'm intubated for three days. I can't speak. The only way I can communicate is via text message. I can text the people around me. They can get messages from me. I'm also kind of doped up at the time. Honestly, I would close my eyes and I would trip balls again. I would start seeing colors and uh, and shapes, geometric patterns and shit. It was actually kind of fun, but they had me really doped up. Um, kudos to them. Some good drugs. And really the only form of entertainment for me, I couldn't type, so I really couldn't do anything with a computer. I couldn't even really surf the internet. I tried the second or third day, but um, I could really only use one of my arms. The other one was kind of fucked up. I don't know how they fucked my arms up in the surgery, but they fucked my arms up. They're like puffy and swollen and just really kind of uncomfortable and difficult to use. So I could use my left arm a little bit, but it really, it was difficult to type. I wasn't really working a mouse or anything like that. It was hard to get both hands on the keyboard. So I didn't do much web surfing. So I had a TV in the room. Of course I had a hospital room, so I had a TV. So the TV was on, but it's not like I had satellite or, or like uh, these days, you know, you got modern conveniences like Netflix. This was like 20, 11, 2010, 2011. So this was a while back. I was in a hospital. I didn't have Netflix to sign into. I had to deal with commercials and every commercial was food. So I was fucking starving the whole time 
because I was drinking, and sure, through a tube in my nose, I was fucking starving, but every commercial was food, and it looked so delicious, but I couldn't have it because I had a tube going down my throat. I couldn't eat shit. I didn't eat shit for a week, but um, there was a movie marathon on AMC or some shit that weekend, and it was a gangster movie. It was classic gangster films, films like Goodfellas, The Godfather, Godfather Part Two, Donnie Brasco, and, of course... Scarface, the film that I'm here to bitch about today. So without a whole lot to choose from, without the wealth of options that we now have with Netflix and Hulu and Amazon Prime and HBO Max and Disney Plus and Discovery Plus and AMC Plus and Pornhub Plus and all of the all of the options that we have now were not available to me then. I just had a couple of stations, one of which was showing gangster movies basically on a loop all weekend long. So 72 hours, I can't speak. It had to be torture for me. I've already talked more than I thought this episode was going to go. Fuck it. Scarface came on. I was popped up on medication and I watched Scarface and I realized while I was on all these drugs, having this psychedelic experience, I was enlightened. I mean, that was the moment of my Zen awakening. I mean, that was really kind of the first step along my my process of Zen awakening. And I realized a lot of people like Scarface. A lot of people consider Scarface to be a gangster classic. And maybe it is, but it's a piece of shit film. And I like Brian De Palma. I, I love Al Pacino. Scarface is a piece of shit movie. First complaint is relatively minor, but apparently circa 1983, 1982, there wasn't a single... Cuban actor working in Hollywood that Brian De Palma could have cast. The film was written by Oliver Stone, and I would say that that is a asset overall, particularly a story about cocaine, because Oliver Stone was doing all of the cocaine back then. If I could go back in time and hang out with anybody, you talk about, oh, I'd like to go meet Jesus, I'd like to go meet Merlin and the fucking King Arthur, or whatever. I'd like to go back in time and fucking rub dicks together with Confucius or whatever. Fuck all that. I'm not going back. I mean, it'd be interesting to meet Jesus, I guess, but I'm going back to 1983, 1982, 1981. I'm hanging out with Oliver Stone for like a long weekend because that's probably all my This movie, of course, is a remake of a 1932 film also named Scarface. It follows along with the original 1932 version of Scarface pretty well. You can tell that that it's a remake if you go back and watch the 1932 version. And so that's my that's a complaint that I have about Scarface. There's this 1983 version. Everybody watches that. Nobody goes back and watches the more superior original film from 1932 because it's black and white. It's black and white. I don't watch movie in black and white. I don't watch old movies. So first thing, you're a total troglodyte. You're like, I only want to watch a movie because it has color in it, and I don't want to watch an old movie, then you're a troglodyte. You're the kind of little bitch that drinks uh, Mike's Hard Lemonade through your anus. You, you funnel Mike's Hard Lemonade directly into your gaping asshole instead of drinking beer or whiskey if you prefer new movies to old movies and refuse to watch an old movie just because it's black and white or something like that. You just can't bring yourself to enjoy black and white and you better not have a black and white photo hanging in your house anywhere. 
All right. You better not try to claim any appreciation for black and white photography if you have a problem with films in the 1930s. So that's my first complaint about Scarface. Uh, a kind of a weak copy, a little hyper violent. Although the first, you, you'd be surprised. You don't expect a, a movie from 1932 to be that violent, but this was a pre code film. And of course, they didn't have ratings back then. So films that came out before 1934 could actually get pretty fucking wild. And I might talk about that in a future episode. But 32 was a a nice year because it was pre-code, but it was post-sound. So you would have films that were full sound, sound effects, score, dialogue, everything, right? Because sound came around in 1927. So 32, all movies were, were being shot in sound. They're all talkies at that point, but they hadn't adopted the movie code yet, so they could just kind of get away with throwing some shit in there, and they did. So I recommend you go back and watch the 1932 version uh, directed by Howard Hawks. Much better version. This version, I just got really tired of everything, just everything. I mean, the guy's terrible. Tony Montana, he's a terrible human being. He's a shit human being. He's a really bad human being. He's got a mom. He's got a family. He barely sees him. He praises the almighty dollar, despite his mom being a grounded and rational person, a good person who encourages him to be a good person. He completely disregards all of her advice and goes about living this gangster lifestyle that if he's half as smart as he says he is, as he claims to be, then he ought to know how the gangster lifestyle ends. This movie makes a point of showing how he deals with his former boss. How did the gangster lifestyle end for his former boss? How does the gangster lifestyle end for Tony Montana, for his best friend, Manny? Gangster lifestyle doesn't end for very well for them. And I think if you've got as much intellect as Tony Montana claims to have, then, you know, maybe it's better to uh, make a little bit less money and uh, keep your head. You know, it is what it is. But I just found the film to be, you know, just one kind of violent, despicable act after another until the very end where... Tony makes his mistake is that he refuses to blow up a car containing a guy that they want to kill. Tony's boss in this movie wants to kill or this guy that's maybe not really his boss, but I don't know. He's contracted under or whatever. He's working for the guy to do this hit. And uh, he doesn't want to do the hit. He doesn't want to blow up the car because the guy's kids are in the car. As despicable as he is, Tony's got a soft spot for kids. He doesn't want to kill a kid. He doesn't mind killing some 40-year-old dude, but he doesn't want to kill a couple of children. That gets him in trouble, right? Because now they found the bomb. They stepped up security. They're not going to have another chance to kill this guy. Tony fucked up. Now Tony's got to pay. And 20 minutes later, scores of deaths later, and I'm not a guy who minds action films. I'm not particularly conservative when it comes to violence in film, but Tony meets a violent end essentially for the one good thing that he he does in this whole film. One good thing he does. He says, I'm not going to commit this crime because I don't want the collateral damage of these children, their deaths on my conscience. He has one instance of good conscience in this film. One instance where he's not murdering his boss or murdering his best friend or uh, snorting humongous piles of cocaine. I think that part was like the fantasy for Oliver Stone. I think he was like kind of writing this fever dream fantasy about having a desk, like a marble desk with like wrought wood 
legs and chairs and everything's fancy and he's just got this giant pile of cocaine that he can snort off of this giant marble desk you can tell it's like it's like oliver stone's fever dream but so what is the movie telling you Uh, tony meets his end for the one good thing that he does if tony had been perfectly ruthless and killed those kids and that guy's wife just blown that whole car to smithereens he would have made it I mean, something else would have undone him, right? That's how the gangster lifestyle always ends. At that point in the film, he's already pretty coked up. You know, he's been getting high on his own supply. It really doesn't matter whose supply you get high on. Getting high all the time fucks with your head. And you could see that the alcohol and substance abuse was starting to take its toll on Tony's mental state by the end of that film. And that's the part of the film that I really want to talk about. The only good thing about Scarface, amid all of the cheese, and I mean, they did a good job with the 80s like set pieces. They did a great job. It's 80s as fuck. It's Miami as fuck. So if you love 80s and you love 80s Miami, I could see really liking this film just because of the way it's portrayed. I love 80s movies. I, I don't make any, you know, it's not like a secret I love 80s movies, but um, I still think Scarface sucks. But there's one really just delicious scene in Scarface. And Kaz, I know that you know what scene I'm talking about. It's the good night to the bad guy scene. Say good night to the bad guy. It's that scene. Tony's intoxicated. He's drunk. He's high. He's probably got 10 different substances coursing through his veins. He goes out to dinner with some of his goons. I think his uh, his best friend Manny was there. His uh, his wife, of course, the Michelle Pfeiffer character was there. Elvira, also terrible name for a character. Elvira, what the fuck? I can't hear that that name without thinking like Elvira, Mistress of the Night, with the boobs and the black hair and the cheesy one-liners. You cannot name another character Elvira, and I guess that was like pre-Mistress of the Night Elvira because she didn't hit till the late 80s. So maybe they thought they were safe naming Michelle Pfeiffer's character Elvira, but get the fuck out of here. That's a terrible fucking name for a character, Elvira. What the fuck? That sounds like some kind of fucking venereal disease you would catch why would you name her a name that sounds like a fucking std like you're gonna fuck this broad and then you're gonna catch the fucking thing the clap or whatever and it's gonna burn when you pee and your fucking nuts are gonna fall off and your hair's gonna fall out and you're gonna go fucking bad shit loco before you die of kidney failure whatever else that fucking std is gonna do to you elvira Sounds like a virus. You get this fucking virus in your shit and you can't get rid of it. There's no fucking cure. Guess what? AIDS was coming around in the early 80s. People didn't know as much about it then. But that's right around the time that AIDS was starting it. AIDS is a virus. You're going to name this woman Elvira. So maybe it's it's trying to show us that she is kind of a parasite a little bit. You know, She's just around for the lifestyle. She doesn't do anything. She doesn't lift a finger. She doesn't cook. She doesn't clean. She doesn't work. She doesn't have any hobbies except snorting coke, apparently, spending Tony's money. And before that, she spent Tony's boss's money when she was married to him, when she was his bitch. What I'm trying to say is that maybe the name Elvira was chosen because it's meant to evoke that feeling. She's like this vampire that, like, 
sucks the lifeblood out of the male that she's with. She takes the money, and she doesn't really give anything up except the punani. Anyway, he's out with Elvira, his best friend Manny, a couple of other goons, I'm sure his bodyguards or whatever. There's an entourage, and they go out to dinner. And I guess he's at a swanky Miami restaurant that would be filled with normal people as well, normal rich people, you know, upper crust kind of uh, folks, you know, the real the real urbanites that uh, maybe old money, they didn't make their money doing crime. Their grandfather made the money doing crime, and, and then they got a trust fund or something like that, and now they feel detached from the grimy and seedy underworld uh, where their money came from. But regardless, he's like in and amongst all of these like uh, fine upper crust, mostly white um, Anglo-Saxon Protestants, you know, the real waspy types, and they're all looking at him and judging him, and he's all fucked up and good night to the bad guy and all that shit. But before that, he's berating and insulting his wife. It's really pretty ugly the way Tony is behaving towards Elvira, this woman that he claimed to love earlier in the film. You can, you can tell that he doesn't, he's just a piece of shit. Again, it's a terrible movie where you get to watch this piece of shit unravel for two hours. But this scene, I know I'm really drawing this out, but this scene is the scene that gives us the line. That makes it all worth it, right? He's insulted her. She's run off and, or maybe she hasn't run off yet, but she's about to leave the dinner table and and, and run off because she's just insulted. But Tony complains he's not able to have kids with her. Like They haven't been able to conceive yet. I don't know how long they've been married, so I don't know how long they've been trying, but they haven't been able to conceive. And Tony, Al Pacino as Tony, delivers the timeless line. Absolute classic. Kaz, I know you know the one. I know you're saying it to yourself right now because you know where I'm going with this. But it's the line. Her womb is so polluted. She can't even have little fucking babies, man. Now, that, of course, was not the line, right? That's not the line. The line is, her womb is so polluted. She can't even have a little fucking baby, man. That's the line. And I'm going to teach you guys how to do the line today, right? Other people might be able to do it good, but I'm telling you, I can teach you how to do that line. And it's got to be exaggerated. For for as insulting as, as the accent can be, because it, it it is kind of a caricature of a Cuban immigrant. And all you haters that might be listening to this, go fuck yourselves, because I'm doing an impression of Al Pacino, who is a white man. Okay, he's doing the impression of the Cuban American. So if you got if you get offended, don't fucking come after me. It's Al Pacino. I am lampooning his performance. If you've got a problem with his performance and the way he caricatured Cubans, then I suggest you write to him a fan letter and tell him to go fuck himself. But don't tell me to go fuck myself or you can go fuck yourself anyway. The line is perfect. And I remember last Christmas sitting down to a dinner. It wasn't it wasn't Christmas dinner. It was a couple of days after Christmas. My my mom and my my uh one of my brothers, Elliot, and my wife, the four of us sat down. I think my dad was uh, snoozing. It was a late dinner and I don't think Cameron was there. I think Cameron and and his wife had to work or something like that. So they weren't around. It was just the four of us eating dinner. Evelyn was asleep. Madison was still inside my wife's belly, and we had the conversation. I had this very conversation with my with my family, and I told them the line 
it's the magic line. It's the magic line that makes Scarface almost worthwhile. Her womb is so polluted. She can't even have little fucking babies, man. And you got to say it loud. And you got to you gotta be big with it, over the top, just like Al Pacino. Her womb, right? Womb has to be like this, almost like this guttural mouth sound, right? It's not womb. W-O-M-B. Womb. Womb. It's got to be just this oomph oomph that comes from the the gut. Her womb, right? And it's not her womb. It's her womb, right? Exaggerate as much as you can. Her womb is so polluted. And you got to get your tongue involved when you say polluted. It's not polluted. It's polluted. You got to really like make a duck face with your lips. And just get your tongue involved. Like you really just got to push that word out with your tongue. Like my six-month-old daughter, when I feed her pureed carrots, the way she pushes that out of her mouth with her tongue when she's not feeling it. It's all in the tongue. You just got to push those syllables out of your mouth with your tongue. Make your tongue fat. You know, get it all like puffed out and fat. Just it's got to be like nasally and gross, right? You're not trying to sound charming. Her womb is so polluted. Really put a lot of emphasis on polluted and really drag this out because he's fucked up in this scene. He's not, not talking right. He's not eloquent. He's just fucking slurring his words out of his mouth. He's fucked up. Her womb is so polluted. Pause. She can't even have a little phone baby, man. And you got to be fast with that. Get it out there quick. It's better if it's not very clear. She can't even have a little phone baby, man. Just, just throw it out there, right? Like mumbling Michael Jackson. Just throw it out there really quick. Her womb is so polluted. She can't even have a little fucking baby. It's great if people don't understand the last several words. It's better if they don't understand. And maybe my version doesn't sound exactly like the movie version. And it probably doesn't sound like Kaz or DJ Century when they do this line in the Hood Diner. But this is the way to do it. It's got to be over the top. You got to come over with a caricature of Al Pacino, who is caricaturing Cubans. So that's how you got to do it. Her womb is so polluted. She can't even let wrong baby, man. Don't even, honestly, don't even say words at the end. Her womb is so polluted. She can't even let baby, man. See? Just mumble it, throw it out there really fast. People are going to think you just said something like, oh, did you say she can't? She, what? She can't even let baby, man. She can't have a little fucking baby, man. Her womb is so polluted. She can't have a little fucking baby, man. And that's how you do it. That's the only good line in Scarface. That's the only good part of Scarface. If you don't agree, hey, come at me on social media. I'm fine having a discussion about why you're retarded. Add Jason Almy, A-L-M-E. Find me on Twitter and tell me to go fuck myself. I'm good with that. I love you. Thank you for listening. Fuck Scarface. Go watch the 1932 version. Get the fuck out of here.
Peace. 